welcome to uh, the second taping of this particular podcast. Uh, this is the third episode of The Expert, and today I am here with Joe Whitbread from Joe Social Media. Joe is also the Rebels in-game announcer, and he also happens to be a, I believe, fourth or fifth cousin of mine, and I, yeah, I've known Joe for a long time. We've, uh, we've engaged on multiple platforms, and it's great to have him on the show. And it's great to be here. I think uh, I did the math once. Your father and my mother are first cousins, which makes me second cousins of your dad. Your second cousins, my mom. It makes us third cousins, I believe. If um, you want to do the math, but anyway, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, it's great to have you here. Uh, so today, I wanted to bring you on the show. Uh, I recently had a conversation that had a lot to do with um, people being worried about uh, what's on their social media. It came up after the Trudeau blackface incident. And uh, I just talked to a lot of people who like went over their Facebook just in case there was something that they didn't want up there anymore. And it was nothing nefarious or awful like blackface, but a lot of it was just um, older, older shots and older, like maybe they were out at a party or something like that. And it's just stuff that people don't want to carry with them anymore. And it had me really think about uh, the way that social media is evolving and the way that we are interacting it with it differently and I thought that you would be a perfect person to have this conversation with. Um, it appears to me that uh, we're, we're creating tons and tons of content as particularly people that are younger than our generation and I'm wondering how that will evolve in terms of the way that we, uh, we, we look back on ourselves and how we look at this content 10, 20, 30 years from now. Yeah, well, thank you. We're, we're definitely a documenting society, aren't we? I mean, we, uh, we, I remember when Facebook and, and eventually Twitter and some of the other uh, first platforms came out, you know, the, the, the joke, which is often still used by people that don't necessarily know what they're for fully in terms of, uh, you know, personal branding. The, the joke is, you know, I don't want to see what you had for breakfast or uh, <laughs> I don't need to know that you just had a sandwich or, um, you know, that, that, that documentation um, scenario seems to play out in, in all of our lives. And, and if we're to be honest, we are. We're using our social channels, many of us, to journal. Um, no different than diarizing our lives way back in the 1800s or the 1700s. We'd write down what we did that day. Um, you know, that's what a journal or a diary is. I'm sure there's teenage uh, or, or adult listeners who were teenagers at one time who maybe did put their deepest, darkest secrets in a journal. So we certainly are a a journalistic, uh, a journaling or a diarizing society, and mm -hmm. and that's taken us to a whole new level. I, I would like to make it clear to your audience that um, while I have certainly a public opinion and societal beliefs on this, like everyone else does who will listen to this, I also have some expertise in the field. Mm -hmm. um, Joe and I, the other Joe, and me with Joe Social Media and our staff have have really, um, over the last eight years, which, my God, if that was dog years, that's like 30 years of social media, but it's so, still so infant. Um, I often say if social media were, were a human, it would be a, a young adolescent teenager right now. It, it's really uh, immature. It's unsophisticated in a lot of ways, although it's extremely sophisticated in a lot of different ways. Um, but the way that social media is behaving in our society or the way we behave using social media really represents an adolescence. It hasn't fully exposed. I know we're going to talk about that today. I know we're going to talk about where it's going and, mm -hmm. and what it will be like when it's grown up. But right now, I really believe it's not grown up. And so we are having conversations like this on a daily, uh, 
among adult friends uh, in the millennial generation that was born with it, the first generation that was born on the internet, literally. I mean, their, their, their photos, the, their names might have been picked from a poll on a Facebook post. <laughs> Remarkable to think of this, but they were born on the internet. They don't know what privacy is. They've never had it. We exposed that of them unintentionally, but on purpose. We told the internet about our kids, and those kids are now 20-somethings, and, and now they're living in the normal society that's the internet. So to your specific question, I, I think we have a, a responsibility as, as mature adults, if, if that's a thing, <laughs> to, to help our kids, to help Maybe our adults. Maybe seven out of ten of those. Yeah, of yeah certainly. <laughs> um, and we're all still maturing. I love that we all, um, we all consider ourselves old until we witness the, the generation above us, and then we're like, well, I'm not that old. You know, I might be 40, but I'm not 50. Or a 50-year-old might say, I might be 50, but I'm not 60, and, and so on and so forth. So we're all still growing, and we're all still learning, um, but I think the mentorship part has to take over at some point, and that's not the hands on your hips and the shaking your cane, and well, back in our day, we didn't need that. That's not mentorship. Um, that's uh, recognizing a norm that doesn't exist anymore, and I know we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that probably in terms of, of where we've gone and, and past the point of no return, but when it comes to 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 looking back at the documentation of our past lives over the last, it's only been a decade, I mean, really, you know, a decade and a half at best when you're talking about Facebook in 2006 and, and, and LinkedIn just prior to that and, you know, some of the iterations of classmates and other things. It's only been a decade. So we're, st we're still figuring this out. No different than an adolescent teenager is still trying to figure things out. Absolutely. And I think the one thing that social media has done is it had brought a lot of ephemeral relationships that we had in the real world. And like you said, we started journaling them and documenting them on social media. So they went from being lots of things that we said were throwaway and they weren't part of history. They were just throwaway. And now they are, they're there. They're part of us. They can be looked back upon when we delete them. Somebody else might still have a copy of it. Like what we say online continues to exist which is completely different than the narrative like in a journal it was the end of the day it was a story to yourself and maybe a few other people read it but now it's millions of people that can have access to anything you say and I think that's really kind of changed the way we interact both online and in the real world because we've almost lost a sense well maybe I maybe I feel that we've almost lost a sense of that impermanence of society I think that we've made everything stone tablets basically uh, yeah I, I think there's a, a complete misconception on a personal level of our um, personal responsibility I know I live in the public uh, world more than the next person I'm not Justin Bieber famous <laughs> but I have uh, a celebrity or a local celebrity people know who I am because of the jobs that I've done and I'm a public person I also know that that's brought on a responsibility on my social media use. doesn't mean I haven't done anything wrong or sent out anything that I regret but I have always approached it in a, in a, in a different mindset, a, a mindset that I liken to what a celebrity would have to do. When Taylor Swift leaves her house, I assume she has to plan potentially for the paparazzi to see her. She knows that going out. So it's a psychological behavior training that is, and again, I, I feel like I understand that. Again, you know, don't put in the comments section that Joe thinks he's famous as Taylor Swift. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> All I mean is I approach my social media, and I believe we have to teach our kids to do this as well, as though it's, it doesn't matter that you only have 27 followers or that you know, your last post got no likes. It isn't a diary or a journal entry. 
we cannot, and I think we are doing this psychologically, I think we're treating our posts uh, as though they are the notes we passed in science class. You know, the, the, uh, the proverbial, um, you know, this will never get seen. I'm going to draw a funny picture of the teacher and she'll never see it. Let's all laugh about it in the back of the class, then create a spitball and throw it in the garbage. I mean, that's how we grew up. I truly believe that our kids uh, don't understand that everything they say can and will be used against them. I, I know that. I don't think that. I, I know they don't think that because they think they're insignificant. And remember what you felt like as a child. Yeah. This isn't a, a mental health conversation about insignificance. That's a different conversation. This isn't a sadness. Nobody loves me. Nobody likes me. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is they really truly don't believe that there's a world outside their small little cliques or their small classroom or their school. They, they don't know it. They can't know it. They have no life experience. And so I believe with that understanding, that false popularity, that a post that goes out socially, they think will only be seen by an insignificant number. And that insignificant number is part of an echo chamber. Because at that age and at any age, if we're to admit it, we hang out with only people who typically have the same opinion as us. Yeah. And so I really believe that this is a fundamental component of teachings, whether we're talking teachings from, from educators or teachings from parents, or even a mentor helping out someone younger or even the same age as you, or even someone older than you, telling your father or your mother that it's not okay to say that about a leader in a political party you don't necessarily like. We have to start telling our loved ones, younger or older than us, that the things we say online represent a much bigger brand that others are watching and if that gets out then other parts of our lives and other relationships will be affected as a result absolutely and i think there's a lot to unpack when it comes to the idea that uh we're brands when we're online i think it's very good to understand that for sure i agree with you that uh you have to present something that's approaching responsible it's approaching being a citizen but at the same time, I think there's also some amount of commodification of a human being when it comes to being a brand. You know, I mean, I think you're you're selling yourself in essence, and also the 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 social media platforms are also selling what you are. They're selling your information. You're selling these things. So I think it's a really interesting thing that particular youth who you deal a lot with. I I don't remember being a commodity. When I was young. I'm sure I was to a lot of toy makers and whatever else was back then. But I don't remember it being so blatant that I was a commodity, right? Like, Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're saying. Yet when you start identifying and realizing the sports we played, um, you know, when we were in basketball, the shoes that you wore, uh, they were targeting you. I mean, was it Michael Jordan that was, that was making sure you wore Air Jordans or was it uh, Isaiah Thomas that was making sure you were wearing Adidas? Like you wore Adidas. You wore um, the weapons in the 80s. But, is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so while it's digital now, it's a more vocal and a loudspeaker conversation. But I love, it's actually one of my pet projects, so, um, uh, speaking to kids specifically about this personal brand. And it's kind of gotten off onto this uh, you know, more internet garbly gook on, on, on what this is. But let's, let's, let's really bring it down to what that means. I have yet to meet an adult ever in my life who has never at least once submitted a resume. And a resume is a polished and completely perfect rendition of your personal history. Certainly your job history, the further you go, it's a documentation 
and a perfect version of that, yeah, right? It's, down it's ninety percent of what you are, and maybe ten percent extra. You know? Absolutely, but it's yeah. polished. I mean, and God forbid you'd, you'd submit it with with ketchup stains or coffee stains. God forbid you'd, you'd submit it with spelling errors or grammatical grammatical errors. Um, we don't. We want to make sure it's polished and perfect. And so, one of the things that I always preach is that life hasn't changed. Things are not different. There's still a baker, a butcher, and a candlestick maker in every town. The job roles have changed, but we network with those people. And if you're bad or mean as you go into the, the baker or the butcher, then the candlestick maker is going to find out about that. And your personal brand carries forth because in a small economic uh, means, in this analogy, the baker and the butcher and the candlestick maker are all part of a downtown association. It's mm -hmm. 1803 and they all know each other and they work together with each other. In fact, their, their husbands and their wives and their kids uh, interact and engage with each other in, in work environments, farm environments, classroom environments. Again, stay with me on the analogy. And, and so whether you only went into the butcher and you complained loudly so the rest of the customers heard, what you didn't realize is the other customers were the blacksmith or the, the, the printing press uh, or, the, or the person uh, down the street who, who, who shooed horses. Uh, it's really important that we realize that, that those components of your personal brand carry forth. And so I liken that no different to what we're doing right now. When I go into my Twitter feed or into my Facebook, I have the ability to influence many, many others who I don't even think are watching. Remember, you don't have to click like, comment, subscribe, uh, share. You don't have to click anything to see what people are doing. How many times have you scrolled a timeline in your life, thousands of times, without ever letting them know through a click that you watched it or saw it or commented? We yeah, focus thousands in. Thousands of times this month. Like, exactly. Yeah. We focus in on the commenters. We focus in on the like clicks. Oh, that's who saw it. Oh, no, 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 no. You had thousands of more eyeballs on it, secretly and quietly. And those people have made an impression of your brand. That brand, what you are, carries forth whether you like it or not. And this is what this is the message, albeit complicated, that we have to pass along to our kids. Absolutely. Like, you've had a long career in broadcasting. I'm a journalist. I think we're used to maintain, due to the nature of our jobs, we're used to maintaining a brand in general. But I, it, it seems to me that for young developing minds, there's going to be a lot of a pressure associated with this type of brand and also the way that manifests in ways where they get focused on the wrong side of these things, like they start defining self-worth through likes and that kind of thing. It seems like there is, it could lead to some problematic outcome. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. Obviously one that's been written and documented plenty, and that is the, the addiction to the likes, the addictions to the follows, the addictions to that feeling, that dopamine that fires in your brain that says, ah, people like you, the validation factor, right? Um, plenty has been written on it. Many have opinions on it. Uh, mine is, is probably no different than most of your listeners in, in that uh, you know, we, have, we have a reliance. Uh, we, we want to show what's great. We want to show the amazing and the, we want to show our resumes, right? It, no different than when we apply for a job, to use that old analogy. We want it to be perfect. Uh, only now we're, we're witnessing, as, a, as there's a bit of a change happening, um, we're witnessing that, that it's okay to talk about your, your bad days. It's okay. We've perpetuated, a, in, my, in my opinion, a very positive uh, new change through programs like Bell Let's Talk and, and Mental Awareness Health Days and these sorts of things. We've, we've allowed feelings, and you know as well as I do, growing up a boy specifically, that it was not okay to have feelings or emotion or, or to show softness. Um, 
that made you, you know, bad names and other things. So I, I really believe we're going to change that, and we are in, in, the, in the method, and we're witnessing great things in an empathetic school system that we speak in two, three, four times a week. Um, but, I, but I do believe there is an addiction issue. I do believe that stems from the ignorance of our parents and our mentors. Um, and yes, I'm looking right at you, moms and dads, and I'm looking right at me. Um, we have ignored the etiquettes necessary. While we complain about it, make no mistake, a complaint or a put that away or that's stupid. That's not what I'm talking about. When we're negative. Yeah, it's not, it's not a fair conversation to have. You're, it's, it's not helping them. Yeah. No, and, and, and we witness, uh, you know, we ask, we ask kids a, a great question in middle school and high school. You know, how many of you are tired of hearing the kids are always on their devices? Kids are always on their cell phones. And, that, you know, the hands go up in such a, such a sad way. It's very, you know, oh, yeah, parents are always yelling at us for being on our phones. And then we ask the question, how many of you have a parent or an adult in your life who's always on their device or their cell phone? And, you know, the hands just shoot straight up out of their, out of their shoulder sockets almost um, because they're so tired of being blamed for this. This is an everyone problem. This is not a kid problem. But we perpetuate, like we do so much in the media specifically and in pop culture, that this is a teenage, specifically girl problem. Teenage girls are always on their phone. Are they? Yes, they are. Absolutely. So I'm not saying they're else. not. Yeah. But so is mom and so is dad and so is grandma. And grandma's actually posting a teenage girl on her Facebook page without her permission. And I mean, we have so many societal problems as a result. So, so we do have to fix this. Uh, you're not going to get from me or any other social media expert that this isn't happening. Of course it's happening. But instead of complaining and being negative, we have to fix this. So let's move on in a positive way. So you, you mentioned there... Um... Uh, the way that um, uh, almost bullying culture, you talk about male culture and stuff, and how it kind of perpetuates into this, and maybe social media has maybe magnified it, but this has been a problem for a lot longer than social media there, and it seems like it seems like there's a lot of movements on social media that have been unhelpful to ending this, and there's lots of things that have been helpful, and I'm specifically talking about the Me Too movement. I think this has exposed a... Um, a sore in our society, like a cancerous sore that, like I think, is we're working towards getting rid of there. But it, I think it's also wrapped up in a lot of things there because I think obviously Me Too has great in a hundred percent intentions. It's a great thing that's happening that needs to be talked about. But it, but what we were talking about before, there's lots of things that people have done in poor taste in their life that's not criminal and it's not horrible, unrelated to Me Too, obviously. Here. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's um. I think it's important that we start de developing a way that we uh, can approach things on social media with their own worth kind of things. Because obviously what's being addressed in, social, in Me Too needs to be addressed and needs to be addressed loudly and with force. But at the same time, there's things there that I think, like wh wh where do we kind of draw the line when it comes to these, the way that we're uh, addressing our own culture now, I guess is what my question is. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know where, you know, we, we, we move past lines all the time. Lines are blurred, you know, so much. Uh, I mean, there was a hit song since taken down because it, it actually was aggressively inappropriate to the Me Too movement. It was called Blurred Lines. Yeah. It was all about, you know, unfortunately, the rape culture. Um, terrible, terrible, but, but populated in, in, in pop culture. By the way, if you're thinking, oh, I know that song. What is he, what is he talking about? Yeah, it's a terrible song. Go listen to the lyrics. You know, it's, it's a terrible, terrible song. Mm -hmm. 
I, I wish we could, uh, you know, to your to your point on the on the male culture, and I think you and I have talked about this off air before. Um, I'd like a, a, I don't know what the hashtag or the, the marketed uh, version of this, but I'd like to start something that says kindness is cool. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's it. Hashtag kindness is cool. Go ahead and tweet me at Joe Whitbread. Kindness is cool. And what I mean by that, Todd, is, and I think you can probably attest to this, as I grew up, it wasn't cool once you got to a certain age, usually that post-puberty and, and adolescent age. Yeah. It wasn't cool to be kind as a boy. Yeah, um, you had to be cool. Yeah, you had to be you had to be cool. It was all about cool. First of all, you had to be cool, which I think you know. Any you, had be, you had to be snarky. You had to be like all these things. Yeah, that, it, yeah. yeah. Well, well, we knew deep in our hearts, and if you had a, if you were fortunate, or or even uh, if you had the ability to to have been raised in a loving home and family, I know that that's a luxury for 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 you and for me. I I know I certainly was uh, raised by people who loved me in a good warm home and. And, uh, you know, I was taught to mind my P's and Q's and say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And I, and I was. I was polite. But I even, you know, broadened as, as, as you get into that teenage angst era, you start to broaden what it, what it means to be. Well, I don't want my friends at all to think I'm helping a teacher. You know, no one helps teachers. That makes you a goody good. Well, social ostracization is scary too, right? Right. So, yeah. And yeah. we hear names like goody goody or, or teacher's pet or a brown noser. Right away, we can go back to that time in our lives where, yeah, yeah, we use those words. I, I, you know, I called someone that. That's bully behavior. But yeah. what was, what was it? What, like, if we start thinking of that, you know, what was it? What was it to be a teacher's pet? A teacher's pet is is someone who did well in school. Well, that's not cool. You can't do what, it's not, you, you know, you must be a, a geek if you're good at, in fact, there's, there's, you know, math geek and science geek. It's not okay to be good in school. It's not okay to be kind. Yeah, it's not okay to be passionate about something. It's yeah. certainly not okay. And, and I was passionate forever. You can hear my, I've always been passionate. Whatever it is I'm talking about, I'm always passionate. So I was no different in middle school and high school. I was passionate. So if I wanted to stay after class and talk to a teacher about something that came up in a lecture or, or a discussion or even a lesson, that wasn't cool. It was only cool to stay after class if you had a detention. That was cool. Yeah. You know, and, and look at the movies. You know, look at uh, things like The Breakfast Club and, and other, you know, I don't know, Ridgemont High. You know, it was very cool. Grease. You know, Danny was, was cool. He was a bad boy that smoked in a leather jacket and skipped class and hung out with all of his, you know. It was yeah, cool. He was a popular kid. Yeah, yeah the popular. So it was, it was popularized in our pop culture. And I guess my point on all of this is you know never mind the social media conversation we still live in a world specifically among boys where somehow in some way and it's deplorable when you really true unpack truly unpack it like we're doing um, that it's cool to be unkind whether that's to adults to mentors to the elderly to females um, it's it's somehow cool to be unkind and it's uncool to be kind and I think that's uh, I think that's absolutely uh, in, inappropriate and something we as males uh, who who truly believe it's okay? It's cool to be kind. It's cool to be kind. Absolutely, and, and I think there's, I think there's a lot to unpack with this too, because I think that there's a pack, unpack a pack mentality. <laughs> I think like I feel like when these this kind of behavior of comes together in groups of males, I think it plays out in lots of different ways, and typically that is bullying, and you see it, and particularly with social media, you see that as just swarming oh, people on uh, social media when it comes to it. Yeah, we call yeah. that rallying the wagons, right? Yeah. How many times have you seen a Facebook thread or a YouTube thread or uh, you know a comment section somewhere or, or a Twitter thread where one person says something and, and it, that gave everyone else permission to pile on? Yeah. I love that you brought up the group mentality because you're absolutely right. And, and, and you and I grew up in a sports culture. 
um, you know, we were part of sports teams and, and, and we know what the dressing room culture is and the locker room talk and the other things. And that is a false perpetuation of negativity. One person says something because, you know, we, we as, as, as boys want to live up to the cool factor. And it's not, this isn't right, by the way. They want to be the alpha in the room or whatever yeah. language they want to use. Yeah, yeah. so we yeah. jump in and go, ha, 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 yeah, he's so right. Uh, and, and he wasn't right. We knew he wasn't right because we were raised as a good grade two and a grade three and a grade four. But somewhere around grade five to, to you know, to ten, we start wanting to fit in. And I'm sure there's a female version of this. I absolutely, with full respect, say there's a female version of this. I just yeah, didn't, we didn't grow up in it. We yeah. just didn't grow up in it. And so yeah. this is what I can say about boys. And I I know it needs changing. I know it needs fixing. And I know there's great people trying to do that. But we haven't fixed it yet. So where, where does the problem lie? I think, that, I think even within friendship circles of people that are older like you and I, I, th- I, I feel it has made motion there because I feel... As, like maybe it has something to do with being able to talk about mental health issues and feeling bad about things. Maybe that plays into it. But I know me and my tight group of friends, we talked about what we didn't like about ourselves when we were younger and like things that we wish we would have done different. doesn't mean we didn't wish we weren't friends and went all the stuff, but there's a lot, we're like, oh, we did that. Yeah. Like, like, you know what I mean? And I, and I feel that's a conversation that might be out. Like, I don't have direct evidence of this, but I feel like that's a conversation that people are starting to have because there is that word out there that men can start talking about their feelings and being human beings. In that there is, I mean, specifically where we live, I think, uh, you know, I, I've never lived in, in Eastern Canada or Central Canada or Northern Canada, you know, to a degree I'm from Northern BC, but um, not, not the territories or there's, there's different cultures within our culture. Um, so I, I'll say with, with some certainty that there's a, there's an Alberta, culture. I mean, we've heard it thrown around in the, in the latest federal election. Well, while you cannot paint every Alberta Albertan with the same brush, we have been. Yeah. We have been in our own province, and we have been outside of our province. You know, there's a culture. And, and, and if we're to be honest, we do the same. We, you know, the, the, we call Easterners... Yeah. You know, Humans are tribal to a certain extent. Like, right. Yeah. We, we use jokes like the center of the universe when talking about Toronto. We, we call people from Newfoundland Mufis. Um, because they, they speak different than us. You know, mm-hmm. we tease and we poke and we prod. And the same thing is said about the Alberta culture. And and while there's you know there's absolutely fundamental um, falsehoods to, to likening everyone in the same room, we all know that that's just absolutely not true. However, we do create these tribes of, of cultures and people, and and I believe um, that we have done a disservice to recognize within, no different than the conversation we had when it came to growing up as a child, where that boy in the dressing room said something really mean and nasty, and instead of denouncing it, instead of standing up and saying, I really wish you wouldn't say that about Mrs. Smith. I like her. In fact, math class was really fun today. I mean, we, it wouldn't even, have done well. Back even, then. <laughs> even as I say it, it sounds, yeah. it sounds like, what is wrong with being kind? And pretend that was said by a 16-year-old. I wish you didn't say that about Mrs. Smith. I actually found her math class quite interesting today, and, and I can't wait for the test on Friday. I mean, that, that has so many wrongs, and they shouldn't be wrongs. Yeah. But by the same token, I guess my point is we have the same problem in our, in our general society. It's not okay to like a certain color of campaign sign on someone's lawn. Yeah. It's not okay. It should be. I shouldn't need to fear that I'm going to get their my property. It's their lives. My, yeah. my property, or my I shouldn't need to fear for an opinion that I have. But we live in an unkind, and in my opinion, uh, a perpetuated unkind culture. 
And so, yes, the Me Too movement has men specifically standing up saying, I have done this, I am wrong, and men after me, especially my boys, don't do this. And so we're, we're trying, um, we're moving it ahead, at least vocally, um, but is it being said in homes? Or are we still putting you know, stickers on, on, on the back of our vehicles that represent uh, misogyny and, and racism and, and just basic negativity with a middle finger up to a leader? And, and I think we are, and we have to fix that. Kind of to bring it back to social media, I think. I think there does, social media has done, it has, it has kind of unlocked the doors to the old boys club a little bit when in terms of these things of it, because the same conversations that would have been having private in the locker room or wherever else, I think people try to have it online and it doesn't work with them. Like I, I, I think, and I think that's a way to kind of expose why it was wrong in the first place because, you know, all of a sudden it's not, this private thing that men did with each other that I think most men can t attest to that they've been a part of at one point or another. Now it's out there and now, you know, now they have to be responsible for what they that say. That right? is so well said. Uh, you know, I think you just, you just truly nailed it. And I've, I've talked about this a, a plenty, but I, I really, really like how you unpack that because um, I think you're right. I think at the advent of something like Twitter, um, Facebook, certainly it has its own sort of uh, vibe and feel and culture, but, but Twitter specifically, which is a vile, can be a vile and, and terrible place. There's tough days on it for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and anyone in any sort of uh, lead role, you know, anyone in a celebrity role or, or, uh, you know, a polit political influencer, role, kind of influencer yeah. someone yeah. With, with a large audience, they can all, everyone I've ever talked to or, or just watched, you know, I think you're right. I think in the advent of that channel and other channels like it, that old boys club mentality or those conversations that should have only happened, they should have never happened to be clear, yeah. but that only used to happen, um, you know, the cockroach under the rock. You lift the rock and the cockroaches started to scramble. Um, we're witnessing now that the, that, that that's just not, it's not okay. I love how you unpack that because you're right. I think people approached those channels that way. Oh, I can say this out there. And then the pushback was, no, you, you can't. You never, what do you mean you were saying that in there? Yeah, exactly. You shouldn't have been saying that in there. And yeah, now and you're saying. you should be held accountable for it now yeah. too, right? Yeah. yeah, so I really like how you said that. That makes a lot of sense. It resonates with me in, in a in a unfortunate way, but a, but, a, but a way that I think we can make change from. Absolutely. I, I know you deal with young people a lot, and I know that you have a lot of hope for that generation. And I'm just wondering, it, it appears to me from a distance that there's less of that culture with young people, and I just want to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, and and I'm glad you mentioned it. I mean, we should have more hope for our young people. I think uh, people. I think our, our every generation uh, that comes next needs to. Um, uh, and I've already mentioned, but we you know we can't have these negative. It isn't about the teenage girls on their phones right now. It's about all of us on our phones. Um, I think it's really important, and, and we do. We speak with a, a plenty of kids, and I, I'm very fortunate to to be trusted and entrusted with uh, some mentorship of young boys and young girls in school or education situations, in sports situations, having coached many. Um, I, I, it's not lost on me, the value of that, especially considering that many you know, don't grow up in homes with a dad, specifically, or parents or team of parents. Um, it does, you know, it, it takes a community to raise a child. Um, but yeah, uh, this is one of the, it's not one of, this is the most empathetic generation that has ever been raised. You know, I don't have any proof or corroboration of that. But all I know is when I grew up, the inclusion of uh, racial groups, the inclusion of handicapped groups, 
the inclusion of uh, developmental disability groups didn't exist. Yeah. You know, I, I probably don't have to get into much detail for, for some of your listeners the same age as me or older to have them say the same thing. I mean, we know we institutionalized basic maladies of the brain, uh, you know, they were insane asylums. That was that was not okay. You know, that's now called a mental health hospital. Yeah, yeah. The culture shift, <laughs> a complete culture shift. So, yeah. and, and when it came to school, you know, the way you and I went to school uh, and take a gym class where physical ability was necessary. I mean, that's very different now. And it was championed almost when we were kids. Absolutely. Like it was. Yeah, it was. It and wasn't based on yeah effort or yeah. yeah. So, well, some of the greatest stories I get to be a part of and hear when uh, when even. A grade five or a grade four student comes up and, and, and talks about um, their best friend and there's absolutely no descriptive of the color of their skin or their religion or or the religious uh, uh, clothing that they're wearing. They're talking about their character. They're talking about their character. They're talking yeah. about their friend yeah. because that's a human and I'm a human and I'm in grade four and I'm, what are you talking about? I didn't even notice they had dark skin or I didn't even notice uh, she was wearing uh, a religious symbol. Um, we've created that. We made that. And so my point is it's the most empathetic an inclusive society ever raised. So I've, I've talked plenty about how I believe we're in a blip scenario. I think a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old right about now is the last one uh, right now that's going to come through with some difficulties in the notion that social media is a journal or a place to share. Mm -hmm. I think after that, because they're being taught anti-bullying in school, because they're being taught digital citizenship ad nauseum, because they're being taught to be kind, um, and because they don't have the societal norms we're used to in the 70s and the 80s, uh, I believe the next phase after this blip is over, uh, it'll take a while for it to wipe clean. Um, I believe it's going to be a positive place. I believe social media and the channels like YouTube and TikTok and, and, and Twitch and all of these other channels you may never have heard of that are allowing kids to be content makers and performers and even new first careers, never mind flipping burgers, they're going to they're gonna be, and I know it's dreadfully impossible to understand for most of your listeners who are parents that your child might actually make money on YouTube or TikTok. It is possible. It's a, it's a job no different than saying, hey, son, I want you to play in the NHL. You know, that was ridiculous too. And less than 1% of our population makes it there. And guess what? Less than 1% of the population is going to be a YouTuber. So don't worry if your eight-year-old comes home and wants to be a YouTube celebrity. They probably won't be, but it's okay to be positive and help them out. Absolutely. And, uh, there is one conversation from our previous attempt at doing this podcast that I did want to bring back because I felt like it was a really interesting conversation there. And that was just the amount of content that that young generation that we were just talking about is creating there. And like we were the first generation of the internet. We created content we thought was a lot. It's these kids do that in a week, what we did in years and kind of thing on like, and I'm thinking just our TikTok videos, like oh. Snapchat discussions, like they just, like photo after photo after video after video there, and it's and it's. I'm glad to hear they have that empathy you're talking about here because that's a lot of content out there that is yeah even if it's apparently on a disappearing site like Snapchat it's probably still out there somewhere. Like, yeah, yeah, I heard I heard a stat that you know now we're we're at trillions where we used to be at millions of photos. If you take the Kodak world or you know the blockbuster video and Kodak world where, you know the single time tangible use uh, products, Polaroids, you know, there was millions, millions of pieces of content, which was a lot, you know, hundreds of millions of photos were taken around the world. But that's because there was 24, um, 24 pictures on a roll of film, you had to take it down to your local film store and, and get it processed. And then of course, you know, you might, you know, 
some two or three within the role were ruined or overexposed or what have you. And then so there, there was millions of photos is the point. Now there's trillions, yeah. if not quadrillions, because we've all taken a, a, you know, a burst of photos, 10 photos so that we have one. And it didn't matter if grandma blinked because, well, we got it in one of these. So, yeah. so trillions of photos, let alone the content you're talking about is being produced. And, and, and you're right. I mean, I hope also that we have this empathy I'm talking about because everything they produce, everything they do can and will be used against them. I do believe that that we have a, a responsibility to teach our kids. Remember, they don't understand like we do. Remember, uh, as we talk about this, that they, they, it's not their fault. They just don't understand that journaling through DMs or direct messages um, is not the same thing. That is in a cloud. That is never going to disappear. That can and will be brought up. And it's so, technically the property of the platform. It's technically uh, and, and probably universally the property of the platform. And, and by the way, it doesn't disappear. We all know it doesn't disappear. Um, there is no more privacy. But do understand that fundamentally a child, probably anyone under the age of 20, with all due respect to the 18 and 19 and 20-year-olds, but I'm talking legally a child, does not understand privacy. We are worried about privacy loss because we knew what privacy was. Yeah. But because we posted pictures of our kids, because they, their hockey and their dance pictures are online, because their phone numbers and their addresses are, are visible using you know, the geo components of their Bluetooth on their phone, they don't know what privacy is. So they're not terrified. They're not scared of losing it. They never had it. We know what it was like before. They don't. And so um, that's the lesson that needs to be taught. I don't know how to do that. Um, we, we can use scare tactics all we want. No child I've ever met, no teenager I've ever met. They do the opposite, yeah. <laughs> they don't want to hear an old man shaking his cane on his front porch saying, get off my lawn. And that's what we sound like, whether we think so or not, when we say, you know, back in my day, um, that, that doesn't work. Uh, what we do have to do is, is show them, and unfortunately there will be plenty of examples. You and I talked about how the next federal election will be the very first, not this one, not the one on October 21st, the next federal election will be the first one, likely, where candidates will start having, and we've, we've already seen it, I mean, yeah. we've seen it with the blackface incident, we've seen it with other social videos that have come out, or television interviews, I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about, we're going to start to see direct messages come out, we're going to start to see solicitations come out. A 16-year-old teenager who was soliciting a young person, same age, yeah. because they wanted to take them to the prom, in, in a conversation it's going to be election material one day. It's, it's going, weird to think about. Yeah, because that, that date, that ask, who's just a you know quote-unquote normal person in society, who was asked out by a quote-unquote future prime minister, is that, that message is going to be used as leverage in something. Well, you know, is this who you want to be your prime minister? Because this was the, this was the conversation had. Yeah. And it'll go both ways, by the way, and certainly recognizing that that could be a, a female yeah, candidate of course, yeah. uh, who was approached by a, a male, and the male now is using that as fodder that's going to be captured by an opponent. And, and, and by the way, I just want to reiterate, that's not this campaign, because because our current governments, whether it's in the U.S. or in Canada or in other countries, they're at the 30, 40-year-old mark right now. They don't have adolescent direct messages. The next one, four years from now, and certainly eight years from now, yeah. there's going to be direct messages, digital uh, digital conversations, photos. They're all going to come out of the wash because right now there's a 14-year-old 
just being a child, just being a kid. He's going to be prime minister. And he's going to be, she's gonna be or she's going to be prime minister. And, yeah. I, and those, those, my gosh, I know that's the fear of everyone, but we have to have a positive conversation with kids because fear-based doesn't work. It didn't work in alcohol. It didn't work in sex. It didn't work in drugs. It didn't work with tattoos. It isn't going to work with social media. It can't be fear-based. It has to be positive. Absolutely. Obviously, yeah, digital literacy is something we have to teach them. I think most parents always want to protect their kids there. But I also think the platforms do have responsibility to society there. And I think with the way that um, I'm thinking about Russian interference in elections and other things there and Facebook with Cambridge Analytica, uh, these these big tech companies are facing some scrutiny based on this. And I'm just wondering what you think is the responsibility of these companies to us. Because obviously, I know we sign up for it. We sign away a lot of our rights by putting our photos onto these platforms. But I, these people, these companies can't be scot-free on this. Like I totally agree. In fact, uh, you know, I would use the analogy of uh, recycling. You know, I live in Lacombe, as do you. And, and uh, you know, recycling, unfortunately, curbside recycling was, was something that, through budgetary constraints, was taken away. Yeah. Um, so now it's, upon the, it's the responsibility of the homeowner to recycle his or her own things. There's, there's ways to do that. There's bins for us to do that, but it's not picked up for us. And the reason I bring up that analogy is because I believe there's a responsibility to your point of uh, the homeowner here being the social media user, but there's also a responsibility of our jurisdictions, of our cities and our municipalities, service providers, yeah. our service providers to allow us the, the opportunity to do better. And, and I love you know, I love that analogy, but that's to, to your point. So you're absolutely right. There's a double responsibility. We cannot rely, though, on the service provider. We cannot. We have to still recycle. It's our role. It's our job. It's our responsibility in society to be good citizens, you know, to, to use less of our carbon footprint. And I know that's not the, the question. I, yeah. I won't belabor that. Yeah. What I mean is it's our responsibility whether it's our kids that we're teaching and mentoring or it's our own social channels, to do better. However, to your point, the Facebooks, which I always get a kick out of. Facebook's the one that gets picked on all the time. I, they're the I, biggest one. Yeah. They're the biggest one for sure. Uh, although, are they? I mean, Amazon, uh, you know, Apple, uh, Google. You know, everyone, I don't know if you've heard of it, but there's a, there's a, there's a channel online called Google. Yeah. I don't, we Google things. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, Google, I, I'm, I'm joking, I'm being facetious, but, but uh, we Google things all the time. But because it's not a social network, although it is, yeah. um, we don't we don't give it the same disdain. We don't we give can, it the, consume it differently. Yeah, yeah, we consume it differently. It gives us what we want, right? We Google things, and it gives us uh, the answer to our question. It gives us what we want. Facebook, of course, doesn't give us what we want. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. And we have a disdain for Facebook because it's stealing our data and it's taking our stuff. What do you think Google's doing? Yeah. Why do you think they're you're just getting mining? Yeah. They're mining your data. They're following you around the internet. I mean, we have plenty. Of expertise in this and this is what Joe social media does yeah. we buy and sell data every day it's not free to be online it costs you money I heard numbers like $27 per person per day <laughs> I've heard numbers like a hundred dollars you know whatever that number is what you cost is the same thing you cost when Michael Jordan was trying to sell you Air Jordans you were watching TV for free I mean you weren't mom and dad paid for cable but that commercial was paid for and they were looking for you because you were watching a sports program or new a, shoes every year. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so Amazon, you get a new yeah. toaster every two weeks because it shows up in your ads. Like, so yeah. there is a responsibility. Um, we're seeing that we're seeing governments way too slow on this. We're seeing, you know, the Canadian government this year, uh, you know, made sure that the political advertising, uh, because on banner ads that rotated through a variety of industries, if it's a political ad, you know, that had to be documented. It had yeah. to be. So we're seeing them act very slowly. Uh, and as slowly as they act, obviously other 
Um, these channels are way smarter. Um, they just are the people behind them, so they're going to change it, and they're going to they're going to find more money in the private sector. They're going to find they're going to find loopholes. There's there's just going to be loopholes. Um, I do like what some of the the, the, the parties are doing in this election, and that uh, they're going to start taxing these people. The amount of money uh, through advertising dollars and views that that channels like YouTube and Netflix and Facebook and Twitter and Google uh, and Apple and I mean I could go on and on Amazon. The amount of money that's being tax-free because of that transaction of goods and services is, is unfair. And so some of the parties are, are outlining that and going, you know what? That little flower store that you love in your downtown community, they have to pay a business tax. Yeah. And for some reason, Facebook, by showing you products and services and, and all these Amazon boxes going back and forth, they don't. So there is a responsibility, 100%, but I go back to the recycling. We have to recycle. We have to be better social citizens. We have to teach our kids to be empathetic and better and inclusive and be better social citizens. And that starts with parents teaching. And it always has. And that's never changed. Absolutely. And just kind of getting to one of your points there, uh, the power that the wielders, they are smarter. They are going to find loopholes here. Uh, it seems like this is a type of power that is unelected power, right? It's, it's private sector power. And at some level, there, I'm somewhat fearful that centralizing that much power in not one of our chosen representatives, but one that made it through capitalism, basically. I think there that does come with some issues there, and several politicians, particularly south of the border, have have recommended that they need to be regulated or bro broke up there. And I think that's, I think there might be something to that. I mean, it's not really what people think the Western world is. Western world's about capitalism. It's about becoming millionaires. Like that's the dream that's sold, right? But then. Like, I guess my question here is like, do these companies need to be regulated here? Because it seems like it's a really centralization of power that's not chosen by people. Yeah, when you ask most people in society, do they like regulation? The the initial knee-jerk reaction is, no, don't regulate it. We need our freedom. No, where's the free speech and all of the other? And while there's truth to that, we'd all wish we we had this, this freedom of, of no taxation and I only pay for what I use, and you know, I'm ne I, I never participate in swimming events. Why should I have to pay for a pool? Um, we forget what community is, and we forget uh, sometimes that these regulatory bodies and the, and the things that make our communities and, and life better are as a result or of keep us alive in terms of food, and stuff sure, like that. hospitals yeah. and, and everything else. And, yeah. and I, there is a complete, not a political conversation, but there is a complete disconnect with with what our regulatory bodies actually do for us and what they provide. But when it comes to social media behaviors, regulation is a very difficult and precarious line because, you know, and you mentioned the, the government south of the border and these sorts of things. By the way, all true. You know, there is, there is meddling in elections. There's meddling in Canadian elections. By meddling, how deep does it go? Well, only they know. But, but that, that means that, you know, bots or fake accounts that are for or against your opinion are going to show up more to sway your decision in the election more. Should that happen? Should that be allowed? Well, it's happening. Yeah. You, you don't know that you're not seeing a real person curse about someone that you're against and that makes you uh, more influenced to vote the same way. Or you're not seeing someone that is in your echo chamber saying, rah, rah, these people are amazing and that makes you vote 
the same way. But that's how we're influencing elections. We're being shown messaging and messages that match perfectly based on the algorithms and analytics that we've given the computers, based on the, the data points that we've given our computers and the internet, we're being perpetuated to believe a certain thing. That's meddling. And so it is happening. We do have to regulate that. My question is, how, how do we possibly regulate something that has its best interests in mind, not ours? And, and that's what we've seen from billion-dollar, gazillion-dollar companies. They have their best interests in mind, false, falsely telling us they're doing it for us. They're not doing it for us. They're doing it for them. And their shareholders. In and their shareholders. Yeah. And it is about the almighty dollar. It is about capitalism in society. So can it be fixed? <laughs> if fixed is the right word? No, I don't think it can. I, 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 I personally... My own opinion, I don't trust corporate large conglomerates that have their best interests in mind who claim to have mine in mind. And until I'm shown otherwise, until I, it's proven otherwise, until someone can corroborate that truly the mega cultures like pharma and digital assets have my best interests in mind, not theirs, then I'll, I'll continue believing that. But I have to protect me and my family. At some level, I don't even believe. We can regulate it because what they'll do is they'll just they'll just shrink their service and everyone and then there'll be backlash to that right like sure everyone wants to tax Netflix until Netflix pulls up right and we all rely on this like, like right. and so I, I, they almost almost have us over a barrel on this uh, kind of stuff right and it, they really do they yeah. really I mean, you you and I talked about the the CanCon legislation where you know we yeah. we watched the rise of people like uh, you know Shania Twain or Celine Dion or Brian Adams or the tragically hip whatever you're your Canadian favorites are. Remember that they don't become internationally sold artists or famous or, or nationally, internationally uh, well-known um, entertainment giants without the CanCon ruling. Canadian content is played 30 to 35% of the time on Canadian airwaves. That's a rule that the broadcasters through the CRTC has to follow. And that regulatory body is the same one that, that makes sure that your children don't see, you know, nudity on, on their on their local televisions or or don't hear F bombs fired on, on radio stations. So these regulatory bodies do good and it's important that those governmental and regulatory bodies uh, have a say, but how much is is the problem? We've seen the pendulum go either way right or way left and it needs to sit somewhere in the middle. Absolutely. And I think with social media companies specifically they're often making the argument that they're not content creators. And in, in some cases they are, I would they're say. They're the channels. Yeah. yeah. So they, they are, that's how they're trying to get around this regulatory issue they're having there. And I think that's ultimately how they will. I mean, but I, th I think it, I think it's something that Canadians need to definitely consider because, you know, a lot of these bodies aren't promoting Canadian content. They're not promoting local content and they're not paying into an infrastructure that we all rely on in terms of taxation. So it's I, I agree. And isn't it interesting that, you know, and just so your your listeners know, I mean, how how does YouTube make money is, is an often question. I think we all know how it makes money, but no one really truly understands it. I mean, it's a free platform. You can upload any videos provided it meets their requirements and, and their 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 there sometimes lacks requirements. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I mean, there's no nudity and there's and there's no hate speech and there's no you know these sorts of main requirements. So there are requirements. It is regulated, and and then and then the views that are achieved 
right? If you and I upload a video today, it's not going to get as many views as, as a famous New Yorker YouTuber or whatever. Uh, but those views are then um, categorized in an algorithm, and then if they get a certain amount and it's considered good content, it's positive, you know, through through both AI, artificial intelligence, and humans who who judge that, then then advertisements are put in that. But uh, my point is, I find it very, very telling that, remember that the YouTuber isn't necessarily the one that gets the advertising check. They get a profit from it. Yeah. They certainly make money off of it. But YouTube, the juggernaut that is Google, that owns YouTube, is making the money off of it. And that goes for Facebook and Twitter and any other channel where you ha are a content creator. If they deem that you are likable and that you have good content that others want, they will insert commercials into your content. But they own the channel. They sell the commercials. Uh, I kind of want to wrap this up a bit there, but I think we've kind of established here that social media has been uh, disruptive, both good and bad in lots of ways in the last 10 years. I kind of want to get your ideas on where this is kind of heading and whether it will continue to be disruptive or is this going to level out to a more uh, less concerning aspect of society? Because I think it's right now everybody's talking about what this is doing and, and I wonder if this is just going to people will move on to the next disruptive and this will just be a normal part of the world. I'm, I'm pensive on it because I don't have a crystal ball and I, 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 I want to make sure that my opinion, uh, my opinion is, is not, not just a hope because I have a hope for it. But, uh, well, let's, let's hear your hope. Well, my hope is, you know, that we all sit around a, a campfire and sing Kumbaya and get along and we're kind, even if that means you know, someone has a differing opinion. That's what I hope. I hope uh, children are kept safe by the very uh, people around them. I hope other adults aren't mean to other adults so much so that we're witnessing suicides and negative mental health on a daily. My hope is celebrities can continue to entertain us or inform us or educate us the way celebrities do, uh, but don't have to be attacked by people of differing opinions from a clock tower as a sniper. So that's my hope. I think it's a, a similar hope and a, and a, and a hope of, of many people in many societies. I hope for kindness. I hope for, for, for a better society. Um, my opinion is we have a Pandora's box. Um, it's been opened. It's, it's irreversible. Um, you cannot now take away devices. You can't take away, and devices will, will change. There'll be different iterations, whether they're wearables or, or, or they're actually injected into our baby's you know, skin, as, as ridiculous as that sounds. You know, maybe instead of having to document your new child's birth with the government and, and, and name the child legally and get birth certificates, maybe, just maybe, you know, something is injected into their arm or their neck and, and they... I think this is already beyond sci-fi at this point. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's already on the way in, yeah. in terms of what you see and, and, just and to be tech clear, blogs and lots of things. And, like, yeah. and just to be clear, that's not my hope. That's my opinion. I think we're going there. And I also you know, lead you back to the fact that kids don't know what privacy is. So remember that everyone listening to this over the age of 30 probably and younger are probably going, that's creepy, man. I hope it doesn't go there either. But remember that youth will go, yeah, I would wear something. I already do. It's easier, I, yeah. I have a phone or I have an iPad or, you know, I'm given a, a, a Gmail address when I enter school because I have a Chromebook. So all my bank is on my watch now. Yeah, exactly. My, my, I, every yeah. song, every, you know, imagine if you could queue up and tap your ear and go, I want that song. I want this song. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous to think about and very scary for many people. But I think that's where we're going. Yeah. Does that make life better or worse? I believe potentially it makes life better when you truly consider. And I get that that's going to be, you know not the motivator of many of the older group. I don't want it that way. Again, that's not my hope. 
I hope these things disappear and I live in a cabin in the woods with billowing smoke next to a babbling brook. I don't want this, but I think that's where we're going. I think it's for the purpose or at least the current purpose to make life better. And I don't think it will, but I think that'll be it. And I do believe in the next generation being the most empathetic and inclusive. So my hope and my opinion is that we do it, uh, we advance with, with the, uh, the proper, uh, positive, legislated, but opened. <laughs> I wanted I wanted the best of all worlds, and it's not going to be that. So I don't know. I think I have to go to the hope because that's the only thing I've got. Well, I luckily I've been watching Star Trek for many many years, and I do believe that technological advances can be for the betterment of mankind. I think there's plenty of examples of it we see out there. There is a negative side to thing, but. I do have hope for kindness. Like, for example, today I had a technological problem and you were willing to re-record this podcast for me. So I appreciate that kindness because that helped my day out a lot and made me feel better about the world. And it was really great having you on today, Joe. I really enjoyed this conversation. I would definitely want to have you back on The Experts because I think this is a ever-changing landscape that we're living in in terms of social media. And I just really hope you come back on again. Yeah, that's really kind of you. I appreciate it as well. Um, the the lasting message that I would love for your people, uh, your, your listeners and the, and the wonderful people that subscribe or had a chance to listen to this is please avoid the negativity as it relates to social media, especially around our youngsters. They hear it enough, they know it enough, and they don't agree with you. And whether you don't agree with them or not, that's not the point. They don't agree with you. It's not all bad. They're not using it the same way adults are seeing it. They're using it very differently. Many of them are using it positively. Of course, negativity happens, but it's not what you think or read on the internet. So my, my, my lasting leave with you and your audience is just be kind to kids. Uh, let, they're just trying to figure it all out and they were handed this massive responsibility. So be kind to kids and help them along the way. Stop being negative towards them. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Joe. Thank you.